Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is part of the daily email and podcast I put out for paying subscribers to the Kaka. And it is focused on Aotearoa's political economy. So what's happening with how the bits that uh, join together our economy and what our government's doing and uh, the rules that we effectively write for both through our parliament. I focus on housing unaffordability, climate change inaction and poverty reduction. And I think it's a, a good time to assess uh, the performance of the former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. She is due to give her valedictory speech in Parliament at 5.30 tonight and you will have already seen some of the uh, assessments uh, around this milestone, which is an important moment. The Prime Minister was in charge of the country, if you like, uh, for nearly six years and uh, led it through at least two, if not more, of its greatest crises. Firstly, the Christchurch attacks, and then, of course, the COVID lockdowns, and um, has left us with uh, a variety of legacies, many of which are very good. Uh, the reaction and her leadership during the Christchurch attacks and in the first year of COVID were exceptional in that uh, big decisions were made, not obvious decisions. Uh, they were made quickly and uh, they resulted in um, the best outcome that we could have imagined at that time. Even now, our excess death rate is uh, the best in the world compared to everyone else in terms of the number of people who died from COVID as as a measure of who would have died without it. And uh, even though the second year of COVID was messy and difficult and in many ways we're living in the shadow of it, and in many ways, the Prime Minister is no longer the Prime Minister, in part because of that second year. Uh, certainly, from a, a social and health point of view, thousands of people are still alive today who might not have been if the government and the Prime Minister had taken a different course in March of 2020. That's irrefutable. And in my view, that is a massive achievement. And I said so when she uh, initially uh, announced her resignation. But I think it's also worth looking at some of the other outcomes of uh, uh, her time in charge and measure her performance against her own promises. So clearly in 2017, the Prime Minister promised transformation of a whole bunch of things, including our climate policy, housing affordability, child poverty, and uh, public transport. There has been a mixed uh, performance on that, it has to be said. And in today's email, I have gone through the numbers to work out at the end of the six years or so, who is richer, who is poorer, who is better off, uh, how the economy's done, who's more in debt or has a higher net worth, and try to get a sense of uh, who were the winners and the losers overall and also comparatively, and uh, um, perhaps how it could have been 
different. And maybe how some of the ways that we measure performance haven't actually been measured. So we have a bunch of stats which show us some interesting things about how wealthy people are, what their incomes are, what their housing costs are, and in particular, what their what their housing costs are as a percentage of disposable income. So obviously, for a lot of people, the key thing you do is pay the rent or pay the mortgage before you have any money left over for food and other things. And that is one way to measure you know, how successful a society is. Can you avoid uh, being in extreme stress and poverty after you've paid your housing costs and after you've received your income? And when you look at most of the country uh, and most of the population, they are in a better place. So anyone who owned a home is uh, certainly in 2017 is much better off than they were then. The people who bought homes 18 months ago may not be, but there aren't that many. And even then, many of them are still better off and they're certainly not being kicked out of those homes. But when you look overall this has not been a winning government for everyone. And it hasn't been a winning government for those people who the former Prime Minister said she wanted to improve the lives of. So when you look at the numbers all up, just over $600 billion in extra wealth was created for those people who owned uh, homes and other assets, including KiwiSaver funds. We also saw over $200 billion an increased equity in the value of businesses, um, and a good chunk of that is stashed as cash uh, in bank accounts of those businesses. And when I say businesses, non-financial businesses. And then there's the government itself, uh, which has increased its own net worth as measured by Treasury over those six years. Combined, households, non-financial businesses, and the government have combined their their combined increase in net wealth has been just over $900 billion in the last six years or so. However, uh, there is around about 100,000 households who are still in extreme stress, poverty, and in particular, rental stress. And that has not gotten that much better. In fact, in some cases, it's gotten worse in the last six years, particularly in the wake of covid so if you look at, for example, the measures of uh, the numbers of people who say they have to use a food bank, that was at 127,000 in the June quarter of last year when we last took that measure. And if you look at the number of people in housing stress, that is they spend more than 30% of their income on rent, 30% of their disposable income on rent, that number is... Uh, well over 170,000 and has actually risen uh, slightly since 2019, which is the last time we had comparable numbers on that. Also, there are 96,600 people who are in our poorest quintile, the poorest 20% of our population by income, who are spending more than 40% of their income on rent. More than 40% of your income on rent is an extremely stressful situation. You don't have much money left for food. And it's no coincidence that that number, 96,600, is not that different from the 137,000 who have to go each 
each uh, each month to a food bank. We have numbers also from food banks showing that demand for food banks in the last five to six years has more than trebled. And we know from the social housing register that demand for social housing has almost quadrupled in that time. So, in summary, the last six years saw the former Prime Minister deal with crises and in the initial response do extremely well with that. But since 2017, when the Prime Minister promised a transformational government, she hasn't delivered that and neither has the Labour government. Why? In my view, uh, they were incompatible pledges. So the government obviously pledged to build 100,000 Kiwi build houses. It pledged to reduce child poverty. Uh, it pledged to um, build at least the start of a light rail line. And uh, it also pledged to keep the government's size at or below around about 30% of GDP and to keep at that point debt below 20% of GDP. In effect, they were incompatible pledges. You cannot build 100,000 Kiwi build homes and you cannot uh, uh, build light rail and you cannot significantly reduce child poverty or deal with climate change unless you use the public's balance sheet and potentially increase taxes to invest a lot more in the infrastructure needed for, uh, in particular, um, higher quality, warmer, drier, medium density houses that are not highly carbon emitting and that allow a, sh a shift from car driving to using buses, cycling and walking. Uh, the government couldn't achieve that because it was limited by its own adherence to keeping debt low. And you can see that in the accounts for the first three years of the government, where actually uh, net debt, which is the new measure the government's using, fell from barely 6% uh, of GDP to almost 1% of GDP in those first three years. And that uh, was done by skimping on spending on things like hospitals and schools and transport and by uh, res further restricting spending on operational uh, uh, health and education spending. That has come back to bite us now, obviously, with extreme stress in our hospitals, in part because of COVID, but also because the weight of 20 to 30 years of underfunding relative to our population growth has come home to roost. And this is the core of the story. And it's not a new story. It's been around for 35 years. Since 1984-5, uh, governments of both colours have decided that they needed to cut taxes or keep them low once they had been cut, cut investment in public infrastructure, and to uh, do that because, they thought, we were over-invested in infrastructure, particularly in the mid-1980s. They had seen Think Big, big done. They'd seen a lot of um, public foreign debt uh, brought on to invest in Think Big and decided that this needed to stop all this wasteful investment. Now, but partly because they didn't see a rise in our population. They, we were seen as old, out of the way and stagnant in terms of our population growth. 
Of course, what we know now is that over the last 20 years in particular, uh, politicians from both sides in the middle have unleashed significant population growth, mostly through temporary migration, but also through uh, large numbers of new residents, and have done it without investing much more heavily in infrastructure to deal with the increased population, but also to deal with the underinvestment in past years. And normally, in any sort of decent accounting system, this is captured. So, for example, if you're in a business and you choose not to do your preventive maintenance or to reinvest in your uh, equipment or your brand, uh, that is reflected by a good auditor uh, in the reduction in your the value of your assets. So, for example... If you choose to use all of your profits to uh, pay out big dividends instead of using some of your profits to um, repair machines or uh, prepare for future growth or, you know, fix the roof, then uh, your accountant will look at your situation at that snapshot and say, okay, well, the actual value of the building that you're in is now significantly lower because you didn't invest in it. And so once we take into account the fact that you have skimped on future investment, actually the value of your business has gone down. You've made a loss. Now in New Zealand, um, we don't, with our public accounts, do, I think, a proper job of accounting for future liabilities. A good example is that uh, we should have invested much more heavily in public transport and in mode shift from cars and trucks to walking and cycling in our biggest cities. We haven't done that. And the end result is that we are going to have significant carbon liabilities in years to come. We're going to have to pay billions of dollars to uh, overseas entities to account for the fact that we didn't reduce our emissions now. But that's not properly accounted for in our uh, um, public accounts. Uh, It hasn't been uh, measured uh, in any substantial way by Treasury. Also, the effects of not improving the public health uh, of the nation uh, by shifting to walking and cycling and uh, also the um, significant issues we have with child poverty not being reduced is in effect uh, reducing our productive capacity in the future apart from anything else. And it means that our health, our education costs, our justice costs will be significantly higher in the future. By not investing in our social infrastructure and our public infrastructure, we are creating liabilities for the future, which should have been accounted for, but they haven't. So we can kid ourselves that we are now richer, when in many ways we're not, and certainly not in a long-term way. We are, in effect, pulling forward the uh, uh, wealth from the future and spending it now and piling up liabilities for the future for future voters, for future uh, renters in particular, who have borne the brunt of the the reduction in our wealth over the last four or five years brought on by COVID and uh, by uh, our inability to, in particular, build new houses and deal with public transport. So, um, in summary, uh, when you hear the... Uh, valedictory from the Prime Minister this afternoon at 5.30 and I'll be watching. Um, It's a big moment and for many people it will be um, a sad moment, uh, a complicated moment, uh, um, 
uh, there'll be some who celebrate. I won't be one of those. Um, I have an awful lot of respect and um, concern for the former Prime Minister, having seen up reasonably close how hard that job is and how brutally hard she and many of those around her worked in and not for any personal gain uh, and at great personal cost. Uh, so I am not one of those um, to insult or to um, denigrate or celebrate uh, her departure. But, uh, and, and we should also acknowledge the huge achievements and the amazing things that were done and that um, have made our country better in many ways. But on the same, but by the same token, we should not, I think, forget the promises that were made. Uh, you could argue they were never able to be met because they were internally inconsistent. Uh, but uh, they certainly have not been met. And we have gone through six years of um, turbulence and change and big decisions. And the end result is that the rich have gotten much, much richer and the poorest are now both poorer, more stressed and hungrier. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was my um, daily podcast that goes out with an email newsletter via the Kaka for paying subscribers. But to be frank, I'm opening this up from the start today for all listeners and readers. Kakite ano. Please join with me in thanking our paying subscribers who allow me to continue to do this sort of work. Thank you.